All right. We're going to keep on going through the Gospel of Luke. I want to tell you quickly that last week we were in a pretty, pretty rough spot. Pretty, pretty hard place. Jesus finally gets a little bit fed up, all right? He gets his buttons pushed a little bit, and he says, I think I about had enough, all right? And he starts to say, shame on you. Shame on you, and you, and you, and you, and you. And he goes on with this woe to you. And in a nutshell, here's what he says. He says, I'm tired of y'all making sure everything's all dressed up on the outside, putting your mask smiles on, putting your happy faces on, and you are toe up, flow up, shut up, messed up on the inside. And you act like nothing's wrong. Not only do you act like nothing's wrong, but you're trying to lead everybody else, acting like you know where they need to go and you ain't willing to get there. And all of the preachers and all of the politicians and all of the lawmakers are like, well, that makes us feel bad. You're speaking to us. And Jesus is like, you're darn tootin' I'm speaking to you. Who'd you think I was talking to? I'm looking right at you. Me? Yeah, you! And that's where we are. And Jesus doesn't stop there. He turns from the religious leaders, which he just railed into, and he goes, Now y'all. This is the now y'all part of this sermon. All right? He turns to his disciples. He turns to the people who are hungry. Now, those people heard what he said, and some of them were like, rut-row, you know. Some of you all last week were like, I got I to gotta, I gotta get some things straight. I got to get some things right. And that is great. That is growth. That is what we want, all right? But we're going to talk about something that nobody wants to talk about and everybody wants to talk about. Well, Craig, what do you mean? If nobody wants to talk about it, then nobody wants to talk about it. If everybody wants to talk about it, then everybody wants to talk about it. What do you mean? I mean, everybody wants to talk about this unless it's them. And nobody wants to talk about it if it's them. Period. If you think I'm joking, let's see. Meanwhile, when a crowd of thousands had gathered... so. Just side note, Jesus really kind of embarrassed the religious leaders in front of a whole lot of people, okay? It wasn't just like you, you, you. No, it's like everybody saw it, all right? So that they were trampling on one another, and Jesus began to speak first to his disciples, saying, Be on your guard. He's still drilling them. Against the yeast of the Pharisees which is, come on church, why are you scared to say it? Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. The greatest single cause of atheism in the church today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, and deny Him with their lives. This is what an unbelieving world finds what? Unbelievable. I've been listening to that quote. It wasn't DC Talk, but it was in the middle. It was sampled into a DC Talk song back in the 90s, and I have never forgotten a word of it, and it is true. Jesus even preached it. He said, I can't stress enough 
that hypocrisy is by far and away the thing that will drive more people away from me than it will ever bring towards me. And it's still true today. You can talk about abortion. You can talk about politics. You can talk about murder. You can talk about lying. You can talk about cheating. You can talk about stealing. But it is people who wear Jesus t-shirts and live like hell. It is people who talk about being Christians and lie out of both sides of their mouth. It is everybody holding the banner of Jesus up and living like the devil has control that is the reason people don't come to church. And church is the worst. Call it like it is. Church is the worst. At least the people out there not doing it or saying we ain't doing it. What does yeast have to do with anything? I mean, why yeast? Thank you, Luke, for choosing that word. Be careful of the yeast of the Pharisees. Sounds like they got an infection, you know? What are we talking about here? That's just weird. What does, not medically, what does yeast do? It makes the bread grow in the dough. Thank you, you're exactly right. It makes the bread grow in the dough. You put the yeast in there, you give it a little bit of something to eat, you get the flour in there, you make your ball, you sit it aside, put a towel over it, and you come back and you got twice as much Play-Doh as you had when you started. Kids would love yeast in Play-Doh. Be like, look, Ma, Play-Doh all over your house. Let's put more in. Yes, yeast causes something to rise. Yeast causes something to get bigger. Yeast causes something to be more. The Pharisees had risen to power. They had uh, risen in stature. They had grown in authority. They had gotten to a large or a higher place. And Jesus says, the reason that you are higher, the reason that you are bigger, the reason that you have expanded, the reason that you have grown is because you align stack. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees. What is the yeast of the Pharisees? Hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is what made them rise. They did not live it with their lives. They learned exactly how to put the right mask on, say the right things, do the right things, follow the right rules, and nothing in their heart changed. This is the essence of why the world doesn't like the church. Now, before we go any further, I spent some time on the internet. Dangerous. But I tried. And I've got uh, some memes. They're not really memes. These aren't memes. These are just quotes with backgrounds. That's all they are. They're images that I want to read through. In no particular order, I just know that as I read through them, uh, my thoughts were provoked, okay? And I want you to see them as well. The self-righteous scream judgment against others to hide the noise of the skeletons dancing in their own closets. Dang. Y'all know why bullies bully, don't you? Because their lives are low. And the only way they can figure out to rise is to push someone below them. This is the essence of hypocrisy self-righteousness, 
man that strong. No man for any considerable period can wear one face to himself and another to the multitude without finally getting bewildered as to which one may be true. Let me help you. You can't act like one thing around one people and another thing around another people and pretty soon not get lost trying to figure out who you really are. Everybody take a break from the message for me and think for a sec. I want to tell you something. Not that it's good theology or a movie I'm recommending, but Patrick Swayze, in his infinite wisdom, in Roadhouse, looked at the bartender, and the bar, the bar owner said, well, nobody died. It was a good night. And Patrick responded with what line? Anybody know? It's going to get worse before it gets better. I want you to listen to something. I've always said that church is yummy. I love the word. I love the concept. I love the idea. I love that, I love that some of you have felt it. I love that some of you have tasted it. But I've also said that when you get to yummy, it takes what? Anybody? When you make something delicious in the kitchen, what happens before the cake is finished? Getting to yummy takes a whole lot of messy. Every one of you and me too want the yum without the mess. But I want you to listen very clearly and very closely. If we all got raw, if we all came unmasked, if we all were really honest, and that honesty came through the Spirit of God, in love. May not feel like love. We're going to get to that in a minute. But if we were all truly honest in love, it would be messy. Emotions would fly. Anger would happen. Hopelessness would be uh, lit up. Sins would be outed for sure. But when you confess and repent, then you get righteousness. Then you get cleanliness. Then you get godliness. Then you've got a bunch of godly people working together. There's going to be mess before the yum. There's going to be tears before the smiles. But joy comes in the morning. We need to force ourselves through the night into this present darkness, knowing that we can overcome. I want to help you find you, and I want you to help me find me. And it's going to be messy, but the end is yummy. That's real church. I want that. Do not nod your head, say amen, act excited, or even let yourself get the cold chills unless you're willing to do what it takes to get there. Here's my challenge before I go back to the message. I am imperfect, and I've said it before. I will mess up. I've said it before. I will never be God, and I don't need you to think I am, and I'm not even close. I've said it before, but here's what I will say. Test me in this. Try me. I know that you feel like nobody can really be trusted, but I'm, I'm begging you. If I'm going to fail, at least let me fail doing something. But I can promise you I will stand and hold hands with God, and I will hold on as tight as I can to love you the way he would love you, despite who you are and who I am.
test me in this. And let's get yummy. This one's self-explanatory. Hypocrites get offended by the truth. They've been talking to somebody and all they can do is yell, scream. All they can do is, is call names. All they can do is make stuff up. I've heard the phrase, truth hurts. <laughs> Boy, truth really ticks off the hypocrite. Because then they have to deal with which one of the people they really are. And if they're fake, they have to admit it. And if they're real, they have to confess it. Either way. It's a rough ride. Every man alone is sincere. It is at the entrance of a second person that hypocrisy begins. This one's strong. We can all be who we want to be when there's nobody else around. It's when someone else is around that things get tricky. Do you know why things get tricky? I'm going to throw it out for you. The same reason church is tricky. Because we become the most judgmental people in the world. And we feel the need to perform. What if you could just be you? What if you could be you and you could say, I don't want to be who I am anymore, but who he wants me to be. And there was somebody who would hold your hand and say, let's go. Remember the song, Who I Am Hates Who I've Been? You're allowed. I've told you, you can come here and be whoever you want to be. Do whatever you want to do, and I will accept you. I will not leave you there. That is not God's plan. That is not God's plan. I've only written one song in my life. One. And it stunk. But the line was good. Lord, I want to be all you want of me. Lord, I want to be all you want of me. I don't want to be all I want to be. I want to be all you want me to be. When you knit me and when you were thinking about me and when you formed me in the womb and when you thought of all the things that you wanted me to be, that's where I want to be. Do you? Every veil secretly desires to be lifted except the veil of hypocrisy. We just don't want to be unmasked. How about this one? A person's character is shown through their actions and not where they're sitting on a Sunday. You think you being in that pew makes you something? Somehow gets you holy? You nestle in there and you're like, It's like those little fishies in the pond when you stick your feet in and they get all the stuff off. You sit in a pew and Jesus and the little Holy Spirit angels go, start picking away at the shame and picking away at the grossness. You're getting massaged, the sin out of you. Ah, I showed up in church. What's the, what's, the, what's the thing I've said before? Sitting in church doesn't any more make you a Christian than standing in a garage makes you a car. You think walking in a gym makes you skinny? I'm just saying. You know what? I'm going to get skinny today. Mm. Don't we all? 
I'm working on it. I am. I'm a weekend of working on it, but the pooch still there. Y'all ought to be impressed. I hold this in for 30 minutes every week. <laughs> Core workout. <laughs> Somebody said, I'm with you. Girl, you be hiding behind a pew. Don't you worry about it. Oh, this is funny right here. This is the next verse. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. Oh. Whoop. There it is. There is nothing concealed. Listen. Can I just say that if it's not the scariest, this may be one of the top three scariest verses in all of the Scripture. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. Does that make anybody feel comfortable? Does that give everybody the lovey-doveys? You feel kissed on the cheek with that? Thank you, Jesus. Might I have another? That's rough. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight, and what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the rooftops. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to send you into hell. Here's where he makes the shift. It's not the body. It's not the arms and the legs. It's not the makeup and the clothes. It's not the American Eagle. It's not the Gucci. It's not the earrings. It's not the accessories. It's not the t-shirts or the jeans. It's not the fat or the skinny or the short or the tall or the hairy or the bald. It is none of these things. Don't worry about what they can do to your body. Worry about the one who can send your soul to hell. The word here is Gehenna. Gehenna. Anybody here know what Gehenna is? Hell. But it's actually something else. We derive hell from it, but every person in Jerusalem knew what Gehenna was. It's the Valley of Hamon. Off to like the south, I think it's the southwest side of the town. The town is walled in, all right? And off to the southwest, if you can imagine some of those old movies where the world like goes away and they, they've all come into one place so they're protected from all the outer regions like Judge Dredd or, or the Will Smith movie. Every, everything's gone, but inside the walls, everything's okay, but you go out there and it's awful. That's Gehenna. What they would do is all of the trash and all of the unused things would go out into the valley and it was constantly burning. You just took everything out there and burned it. So the concept was God was going to just take you and throw you into the constant burning. The implication there is trash. The implication there is forever suffering. The imp implication there is the most horrific thing people could imagine. It's the most horrific place people could visualize. And let me just be clear, hell is worse. Worse. But that's where it's derived from. Gehenna. The Valley of Iman, the, 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 the garbage heap that constantly burned. Yes, I tell you, fear him. And then he says, here's the but. He says, oh, fear him. But are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? 
Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs on your head are numbered. So don't be afraid because you're worth more than the sparrows. The sparrows were the, the cheapest bird. And we don't, we don't value birds cheaply or expensively. I mean, we have bald eagles and stuff that, are, that we protect and all of that. But we don't, we don't sit around and go, oh, that bird's a $275 bird. That bird's a $3 and a quarter bird. That bird's a $7 bird. All right, we don't do that. But back in the day when they were making sacrifices, all right, they actually would do that. You could actually purchase birds to be sacrificed, all right, and, and they would have value, and the sparrow was the cheapest. The sparrow was the penny bird. It's what people came in and said, just give me one of those. Here, Jesus, have a nice day. By the way, you know what that's like? Reaching in your pocket for a dollar and putting it in the offering plate. Just saying. He says, hey, God has his eye on every penny. God has his eye on every bird. But God can tell you how many hairs are on your head. I love you that much. You're worth way more than the sparrow, and I know when everyone falls out of the sky, I know everything about you, and I love you more. Yes, fear the one who can send you to hell, but know that that one loves you, and all that it takes is you returning to him. That's it. He loves you. All you got to do is come home. looking at the clock because there's one more section here. Yeah, let's go. I can do it. I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge him before the angels of God. Now I want you to listen closely. This is the verse that pastors and preachers and church people use to try to it's not pressure. It's where we get the idea um, that, that Baptists call a public profession of faith. Okay? That's what Baptists call it. That, there's a lot of reasons for it, but it's a public profession of faith. And what that means is, in some way, there is a public aspect of you saying, I'm on God's team. If somebody says, I believe in God, but I really don't want anybody to know about it, do you actually believe in God? Do you believe that He is who He says He is? Do you believe that He loves you? Do you believe that He's powerful? Do you believe that He can overcome your fears? That He can overcome your shame? That He can overcome whether or not you're embarrassed by Him? I mean, think about it. So we have what's called a public profession of faith, and it comes from this verse. I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge Him before the angels of God. This is why it is important. Listen, not imperative, but important that everyone in this room and everyone beyond this room hears this right here, baptism is public. This is why. Not because Craig thinks you should. Not because it's the Baptist way. No, right here. It's public because you don't have to say a word and you can say, God took me from who I was and he made me new and I want to celebrate it with you. That's why we do it. I realize people are anxious. I, one of my first baptisms in this church was a mid-30s uh, lady. And she said, I want to. I know I want to. But walking out from behind this wall right here, knowing that people are looking at me, I just can't. I get it. I, no, no, I don't get it. No, I don't get it. I've never had that. But I, I did understand. And listen, that happens all the time. And we have made exceptions to that. 
The only exception I've never made is not doing it alone. I think that's fair. I won't baptize you when it's just you and me. People need to see. Not because Craig thinks they should, because it's right here. So do I think that everybody should be baptized? I do, because God said so. Do I think it ought to be public? I do, because you're professing the God of the universe before men and saying, I'm on the team. Do I think sometimes our anxiety gets overwhelming and we just, we would break down? Sure. Hey, let's do family and friends. Hey guys, let's do uh, eight or ten men on a Saturday morning at, 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 at but a dawn a.m. <laughs> let's do that. By the way, let me just give a shout out. The pictures aren't going to, you don't have to go to the pictures, but yesterday there were ten to a dozen guys. In the, in the snow at, at men's ministry, get this. And at 9 o'clock, they went out with shovels, did the sidewalk. And that's, that's cool, right? Then they went to the parking lot and hand-shoveled the bottom lot and almost half of the upper lot. Then four of us came in after an hour in the, what was it, 8 degrees, 9 degrees, had a meeting, and there was one guy, been a member of our church less than four months. He's not here, so I can do this. There was one guy still shoveling snow. We left at 11.05, still shoveling snow. I got a note at one. Hey, man, I really wanted to finish the lot, but I got tired. I love my church, and I won't be there tomorrow. Thanks for everything that you do. Thanks for everything that I do! That is change. That is the inside. That is the opposite of hypocrisy. By the way, do you know the word? Do you know what word it is? The opposite of hypocrisy is, anybody? Integrity. Integrity. I did a sermon about five years ago maybe six years ago, where I bought, anybody remember this? I brought a bunch of fruit up on the stage. Giant knife, like machete knife, and a bunch of fruit. I had a banana, I had an apple, and I had a watermelon. That was the one the kids loved. Has anybody ever cut into a watermelon and thought to themselves, you know, I'm going to open this up, and there's going to be pomegranates in it. Has anybody ever thought that? Have you ever cut into a watermelon and thought, when I pull this open, I'm going to see pomegranate seeds? No. Have you ever peeled back a banana and thought there were going to be six cherries fall out of it? Bit into an apple and thought, huh, that tastes like bacon. No. Why? Because everything God makes has integrity. Why? Because everything God makes is exactly what he makes it to be. There's only one thing on the planet that doesn't. I want to be like that watermelon. When people cut me open, I want, to, I, want to, I want them to find exactly what God made it to be. That's integrity. Doing the right thing when nobody's looking is how people define it. That's character. But integrity is the opposite of being a hypocrite. Everything that I say, everything that I am, what you see is what you get. You cut the watermelon, you get watermelon. You peel the banana, you get banana. You bite the apple, you get apple. That's integrity. And integrity is the opposite of hypocrisy. Whoever confesses me before men, I will confess them before God. Here's the other side. Whoever disowns me before others will be disowned by God. 
I want you to listen to a phrase I found this morning and had Preston put in. I'm thankful he did. I love this. This is a back and forth. Craig, am I scared of hell or am I excited about heaven? Craig, am I obeying because I shouldn't do bad or am I obeying because God loved me? What is it? Listen, it's both. This phrase is awesome. The gospel is always both grace and demand. Without demand, grace becomes cheap. Without grace, demand leads to despair. You're trying to do it right your whole life. You're trying to do it right your whole life. You're trying to do it right your whole life, and you never get it, and you get despaired. But you can't just run around like, I'm going to do whatever I want, and grace is going to cover me. You know what that makes you? A hypocrite. Or a really, really, really um, weird-looking dancer. <laughs> Chose my words wisely there. Everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. We're going to come back to right here because everybody wants to know. When you are brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. These last two verses go back to this one. All right? Um, I tell you my... Come on. I tell you my... It's the only time in the Bible Jesus calls his disciples friends. I've, I've struggled with this forever. I am a friend of God. It's an old song. I am a friend of God. He calls me friend. And I'm like, mm, God ain't my friend. But right here he calls me friend. Why? Didn't know till I started studying all this. When you are brought before the synagogues, the rulers, and the authorities, don't worry about defending yourself. I'm going to defend you. Listen, when you choose Jesus, all right, how many of you remember your fourth grade teacher? Raise your hand. How many of you remember your first grade teacher? Raise your hand. Kindergarten teacher? Raise your hand. How many of you would say, I have a relationship with those people? You probably live in the same town or something like that. I knew there'd be a couple, but most of us don't have a relationship with our second grade you know, teacher or our math teacher in seventh grade. Jesus had to up the ante when he was being honest with his disciples. So he uses the word friend to define the fact that this is more than, than, than teacher-student. We're in a relationship. And because you are in a relationship, because you are connected, because you are associated with me, that is going to cost you. My first grade teacher does something wrong. Ain't nobody calling me. But somebody that hangs out at my house all the time, they do something wrong, I'm probably going to be involved in whatever that is. Jesus ups the ante on the cost of being with him. Government's coming after you. Authorities are coming after you. People greedy for power are coming after you if you want to walk this road with me. That's why he uses friend, here and only here, because the disciples had it coming. They were being prepared for what was going to happen to them. They were going to be tried, tested, burned, hung, stoned, and more. But the Holy Spirit's going to give you all that you need. Now let's go back here. A verse that I get asked about a lot. Okay? It normally doesn't come with what, what, what sin... Uh, what, 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 um, nobody, people, people don't ask me as much about the unforgivable sin as they ask me about suicide being unforgivable. 
I get that one, which leads me here, okay? So I want to be very clear right here and right now. We're not going to get into a long discussion. My answer will come in my statement. There is only one unforgivable sin. The unforgivable sin is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is saying, I do not believe that you are who you say you are. I think you are less than you say you are. I think you are silly, stupid, not. I will abuse you. I will use you. My, my language has authority over you. The Holy Spirit isn't what it thinks it is, all right? That is blasphemous. But you don't get sent to hell. You don't get not forgiven because you blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Listen closely. The unforgivable sin is not unforgivable because God can't give it, but because you can't receive it. Listen to me. The only unforgivable sin is unforgivable because you don't believe the one who can forgive you can forgive you. Do it again. The only unforgivable sin is not forgivable, not because God can't, but because I can't. <laughs> Holy Spirit was working. You don't believe that the one who can forgive you can forgive you. Listen, you didn't know till just now that it was that simple, did you? If you say the Holy Spirit is, is not who he says he is, and the Holy Spirit is Jesus, and the Holy Spirit is God, and God is the Holy Spirit, three in one, then you don't believe that any of them who are they say they are. And if you don't believe they are who they say they are, it's not that they can't save you, it's that you can't be saved. So it's only unforgivable because of you, not because of Him. Got it? P.S., for your learning experience this week, there are seven suicides in the Bible. Go look. Go find. Enjoy. Okay? The gospel is always both grace and demand. Without demand, grace becomes cheap. Without grace, demand leads to despair. Everything that God makes has integrity. Let's find it together. If you run from hypocrisy, you run to integrity. Let's make a beautiful mess together. Let's pray. By my own admission, God, I don't know, I don't know exactly what or how to pray over me and the people this morning. So I will stand here and simply say, it is by grace that I have been saved through faith. It is not of myself. It is a gift. And for all those who know, they understand that they did not earn your grace, that they did not earn your love, but that you poured it out freely and that they accepted it. And I pray for all those in this room who have never built that relationship, that friendship, that, that lordship with you, that today they might find me, they might find Tim, they might find Preston, they might find Cy, Stephen, Spencer, they might find Jesus and know that their life is just beginning. 
In Jesus' name, amen.